During the Christmas holiday, Emily and I visited Bletchley Park. It's famous because it was the centre of Allied code-breaking during the Second World War. Experts reckon that due to the intelligence gathered there, the war was shortened by up to two years, saving millions of lives. Famously, it was at Bletchley that Alan Turing worked, and Colossus, the world's first programmable computer, was developed. You may have seen the film, The Imitation Game. The whole site is now a museum, which will fascinate the family for hours. When I visited, what interested me the most were the human stories behind the people that worked there. It wasn't just Alan Turing, but a whole host of men and women utterly dedicated to their work. And most of these people were hand-picked. Whether it was by a government official or a university professor, if you worked at Bletchley, someone, somewhere, had recognised a talent in you. You might have been a chess champion. You might have been a virtuoso musician. You might have been a cryptic crossword addict. You might have been a great linguist. It's fair to say that most of the people who worked at Bletchley would not have lasted very long on the front line. They were not physically strong, they were creative and intelligent. They were not greatly confident. Most of them were introverts who would have struggled with the noise of exploding shells. Many of them today would be diagnosed as neurodiverse or autistic. Another word you could use is genius. In one of the exhibitions, there was a description by a young woman uh, of the people that she saw walking around Bletchley on a daily basis. Some of them couldn't wash their clothes or cook or look after themselves at all. They looked scruffy and often smelt unclean. Yet they were precisely the people you needed doing the work that they were doing. In life, there really is a niche for everyone, but sometimes we need the observation and the encouragement of others to spot us and lead us into it. The other aspect that I found fascinating about Bletchley was the working atmosphere that they tried to develop there. It was one where creative freedom was encouraged. When you've gathered a group of people who just do not think in straight lines and tackle problems in very different ways to the majority of us, it is foolish to then try and make them work in a rigorously structured way. And these genius men and women were allowed to work with this air of great experimentation. They were encouraged to try out any theory in the attempt to crack these seemingly unbreakable codes. So much so, if they were sat by the lake enjoying a cup of tea and they suddenly had a brainwave, they didn't need to return their cup to the mess hall. They could just chuck it in the lake and go back to their desk. Can you imagine working in an environment like that? A place of freedom where you can utilize your talent to the utmost. So this is what I came away with, this beautiful image of men and women being spotted for their unusual talents, and then encouraged to play a full part. And this freedom given to experiment, 
Not to worry about making mistakes and getting things wrong, but trying everything in the attempt of achieving something incredible. If you ever get the chance to go to Bletchley Park, I would highly recommend it. This then got me thinking about how any human being develops their skills. I'd like us to think for a moment about our own careers. You may be a teacher or a medic. You might be a shop owner or a worker in IT. You might be a dry stone diker or a distillery tour guide. Whatever you did for a career, I can almost guarantee that somewhere you would have had these two things. You would have had someone who spotted your talent and encouraged you. It may have been the master that you were apprenticed to. It might have been a university lecturer. It might have been a business owner that employed you. They saw your skill and they encouraged you to go ahead and use it. And I also reckon that you will have been given the freedom to experiment and practice using your skills. The early lessons of a teacher go wrong and have to be adapted. A medic practices their stitches on a banana. A shop owner buys the wrong product and makes a small loss, but then tries a line of something different that has great success. It's through these things of encouragement and experiment that we all develop our skills. We learn to make the most of the talents that we have and we go on to have successful careers. Now, of course, if this is true for our work lives, it must also be true for our Christian lives as well. If our small church here on Isla is going to thrive, it needs all of the members to play their part and use their gifts. And we are only going to do that if we're encouraged to do it by the other members in the church. And we're only going to get better at leading worship or praying for someone or evangelizing our neighbors if we practice and we experiment with doing precisely that. What we need then is for a church that is a little bit like Bletchley Park, a place where talent is spotted and nurtured, a place where people have the freedom to learn and make mistakes as they grow in the calling that God has given them. Developing a nurturing church community like this is what I want us to take away from our reading this morning. As a church, we have begun a new series looking at the life of Paul. We began last time by looking at his incredible conversion. Saul went from persecutor of Jesus to servant of him. Saul's life was totally turned around on the Damascus Road and he was given a great new beginning. And this time we're going to see how Saul starts to live his new life. We're going to see how he begins to develop his skills to become the effective world-changing missionary that he is famous for being. And as we shall see, encouragement and experiment are very important along with something else. Let's now dig into the text. I want us to begin by thinking about the encouragement that Saul received. In the Bible, true conversion always leads you into membership of a local church. 
But how does that happen if the local church are terrified of you? Remember, up to only very recently, Saul had a fearsome reputation for imprisoning Christians and trying to destroy the church. Well, in those verses that we read with the children from Acts chapter 9, we saw how Barnabas came to the rescue. He stood alongside Saul and took him by hand to the apostles and personally vouched for him. These are the words of verse 27. Barnabas took Saul and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas then was Saul's great encourager. And as a result of him coming alongside Saul, Saul was accepted as a brother and fully welcomed into the church in Jerusalem. The church even went on to protect Saul when his life was put under threat. Straight away then, there is a lesson for us here. It's not only that new converts should join the local church, but the local church must welcome new converts especially those who come from different religious or ethnic or social backgrounds than the majority of those in the church. If Bletchley had turned down those rather strange-looking and acting geniuses that were recommended to them, the Allies might not have won the war. Imagine what we as a church might miss out on if we refuse to accept the new people that God is bringing into us. But this was not the only time that Barnabas acted to encourage Saul. As we fast forward into chapter 11, we find that the gospel was beginning to spread. As the early church was persecuted, men and women fled for their lives. But the benefit of this was that they took the good news of Jesus with them wherever they went. And some of those early Christians ended up in Antioch. A great, bustling city to the north of Israel on the junction of several important trade routes. And as they settled down and began to evangelize their neighbors, this vibrant young church began to grow. And when the mother church in Jerusalem heard of this development, they decided to send Barnabas to check it out. They wanted to encourage the new Christians there and build them up. Yet Barnabas quickly decided he needed some extra help to do this. And in this mission, he saw the opportunity to draw Saul further in to the Christian fold. So Barnabas traveled the extra distance to Tarsus, quite a difficult journey at the time, to go and find Saul. And again, I think you see here a little of what happened in those early days at Bletchley. Barnabas saw something in Saul. He saw his newfound passion for Jesus. He saw the gifts and the skills that God had endowed him with. And he wanted both of these things put to good use. Barnabas knew that God had called Saul to begin work with the Gentiles. And here in Antioch was a city full of them. He also knew that the new converts would need teaching to be given deep roots for their new faith. And Saul's great knowledge of the scriptures was the perfect resource for precisely that. You know, I really believe that the church needs people like Barnabas. It needs people 
who through prayer can spot those who God is calling and equipping for his work. It needs people who are humble enough not to keep putting themselves into the limelight, but to step back and allow others to come forwards. Let us remember that at that time, the church in Antioch was thriving. It was growing rapidly and bringing in an outsider at this point, particularly an unproven outsider with a dodgy reputation, was a little bit dangerous. It could have caused resentment among the other workers there. But Barnabas knew that it was the right thing to do. He was a great encourager and he really championed Saul. Still today, we all need people who are going to encourage us in our faith. We need people who are going to encourage us and see us for who we are. See the gifts that God has put into our lives and encourage us to use them. And if we need people to do that for us, then we need to be doing it for others. So I'd really like you to have a look around the church today. Have a look at the new Christians who have recently been baptised in the last couple of years. Have a look at the older saints who've been here for decades. And see their gifts. And see their passions. And encourage them. Tell them what you appreciate about them. Encourage them to keep serving us as a family. We all thrive on a note of encouragement, don't we, from a friend. Well, let's try and give one to someone else in the church this week. So that's encouragement. Let's now think a little bit about experimenting with our gifts. After Barnabas has drawn Saul into the work in Antioch, we read this right next in verse 26 of chapter 11. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So on arrival in Antioch, Saul begins teaching and preaching. And we also see that he and Barnabas took on practical tasks as well. We read of them taking up a collection for the church in Jerusalem who were struggling as a result of a famine. And the more I thought about this early church in Antioch this week, the more I'm convinced that for a year, Saul and Barnabas were experimenting with things. On a daily basis, they were trying to work out the implications of the good news of Jesus. In verse 20, we discover that this was one of the very first places where Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians were meeting and worshipping together. In the early verses of chapter 13, we discovered that this church was also experimenting with a very diverse leadership team. They had a Cypriot, they had a black African, they had a North African, they had a man with royal connections, they had a highly educated Pharisee. Not your usual mix at the time. Very much like the odd bods at Bletchley. They were also experimenting with new forms of mission into a very challenging place. Antioch was known for its immorality. It had everything from the rough houses down at the docks to a whole prostitution cult to Daphne in the pagan temple. This new location for the gospel needed a very tailored approach. 
So for a whole year, this new convert, Saul, gets to experiment. And some of those things I'm sure that he tried would have worked well, and others less so. But through everything, he was learning and he was growing. Barnabas had discerned the gifts that God had given to Saul, and here was he honing them through practice. And of course, in that verse that I read out, we can see how practical he and his friends were in Antioch, because this was the very first place that followers of Jesus were called Christians. Christ is the name of God's anointed king, a Christian, a follower of a king, one of the king's people. In Antioch, Saul and others like him were talking about Jesus so much and trying to act like him on a daily basis that they developed a nickname. A bit like the way it happens here on Isla. People see something, they comment on it, and it sticks. Saul and the church were acting like Jesus and they were committed to giving themselves to one another and to those in need. And it became the talk of the whole place. Still today, new Christian converts need to be encouraged to put their faith into practice. To experiment with the gifts that they have been given until they fully discern what God is calling them to in their lives. And as a church, we have to try and create an atmosphere of of freedom and love so they can do this. Not a place where they fear making a mistake, but where they can learn and grow as they go. I would never be a preacher if my home church that I grew up in hadn't given me chances to preach. And my first sermons were very ropey, let me tell you. Some of them are still are. But you don't learn without doing it. Tonight, as a church, we're trying a brand new evangelism course, Hope Explored. I have no idea how it's going to go. But it's a great experiment, isn't it? Let's see what God does. Let's see if he uses it. Let's see what we learn and how we can improve our witness to the community here on Isla. As followers of Jesus, we're all apprentices. We learn on the job. We learn as we set out to follow the master. We learn by making mistakes and by adapting in the future. Saul needed a whole year of doing this before he set out on his first famous missionary journey. We will need the same. So if you're here this morning and you're feeling led to try preaching or leading a prayer in church or helping with the junior church or the teen cafe or visiting the sick, come and tell me. And I'll give you the chance to experiment. There is no other way to learn just as there was no other way to crack those codes at Bletchley in World War II. So far then, we have focused on two fairly human things, encouragement and experiment. But of course, unlike with Bletchley, in the case of Christians, there is another added dimension that we have to mention. Our reading in Acts 13 made it clear that Saul could only go on and do what he did Because he was empowered by God. But even that empowerment came in a very human setting. While in Antioch, Saul was called and equipped for his first great missionary journey around the Mediterranean. 
But just look at how it happened. The call came in verse 2 while the church were worshipping and fasting. In other words, the, the call on Saul's life came while the church were together in fervent devotion to the Lord. And then a verse later, Saul and Barnabas are sent off and empowered by the Holy Spirit when that same church comes together and lays their hands on and prays. Now we need to understand that this is a very important moment in the history of the Christian faith. This is the very first time that planned outreach in a new location takes place. This is the very first deliberate mission trip. Prior to this, the faith just spread by people going about their daily lives or fleeing from persecution. But here, a church gets together and deliberately sends people out for action. And Luke, the writer of Acts, wants us to see something here, that this Christian mission springs from a devoted local church. It is birthed in a church that prays and worships together with passion and energy. You know, as Christians in the West, we long to see the church being missional again, don't we? We long to see people going out and people coming in. But sometimes we can miss this radical devotion that leads to it. If you really want to see how determined that church in Antioch were for the Lord, notice here that they give up their two main leaders to go and work somewhere else. What a generous and humble act that was. And the truth is, we all need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit if we want to be effective in our witness today. We just cannot get anywhere without the Holy Spirit. And when God pours out his Spirit, it's always a gift of grace. We never earn it or deserve it. But Acts shows us that that gift usually comes within the human community of the church. The Spirit comes when God's people gather to pray and to worship. I would love to see us here in this church develop this hunger for more of God in our lives and our fellowship. Because if we can do that and be just so keen to be together, to pray and to worship together, we will see more people empowered by the Holy Spirit. So this brings us to the end of our second sermon, looking at the life of Paul. We have now seen how Saul begins to develop his newfound faith, how he begins to grow from recent convert to effective missionary of the gospel. And we've seen that it takes place in the environment of the local church. It took place with encouragers around him, like Barnabas, who saw his potential and urged him on. It took place after a year of experimenting and practicing and learning his trade. And it took the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that came as an answer to the believer's prayers. None of us are going to be the Apostle Paul. But surely God still wants to raise up men and women 
for work on Isla in 2024. Can we foster a church a little bit like the one we find in Acts? Can we foster a church where all are welcomed and valued and nurtured and built up in an atmosphere of freedom and growth? Can we as a church family become the breeding ground for ministers and missionaries here on Isla for many years to come? With God, anything is possible.